Dan Diamond, Sarah Overmall. You ever think about how the three of us are kind of like the perfect little metaphor for uh, coronavirus? <laughs> where Where is this going? <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> no, think. Okay, think about it. Right until there's a vaccine. There's, there's going to be a resurgence of our voices. We're going to be putting out new podcast episodes in, until there's a vaccine or until we just completely cut off all communication and interaction with each other, right? So we're like the, a second wave of podcasts? <laughs> At this point, I think we're like the third or fourth wave right. with the podcast. <laughs> Fair. I, I, I interpreted it differently, Jeremy. I thought you were saying we were a plague on Americans. <laughs> I think he was saying that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there are some people who do that. (laughs) Leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think. Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond. And welcome to our special Pulse Check series on the coronavirus outbreak and Politico's coverage of the Trump administration's response. Today, I'm in conversation with my colleagues, Sarah Overmall from Politico's health team, and Jeremy Siegel, the host of our terrific Daily Dispatch podcast. We're looking at the politicization of a coronavirus vaccine and the recent dust-up between the two campaigns over vaccine development. Here's our conversation. Over the weekend, we saw the political fight over vaccine development ramping up with a sort of tit for tat between the Trump Pence campaign and Biden Harris. Dan, what exactly happened? Kamala Harris told CNN this weekend that she had severe doubts about any vaccine coming out under the Trump administration. I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. Um, I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. First, that she would not trust it. Then when she was pushed on whether scientists would back the vaccine. Kamala Harris said that wouldn't be enough. She feared that they would be muzzled. They'll be suppressed. They will be sidelined because he's looking at an election coming up in less than 60 days and um, and he's grasping. Eventually, she allowed that maybe if Dr. Tony Fauci endorsed the vaccine, that would be good enough for her. And that that caused some concern, not just among Republicans, but really among some folks in the public health community, too. Joe Biden came out quickly and tried to walk back some of his running mate's comments. He said on on Monday that he wanted a vaccine right away. He didn't care if it hurt his electoral chances. He'd be willing to lose the election over it, which I think we should acknowledge is the right moral approach. But it was Trump who has done as much as anyone to raise concerns about politicization of the vaccine and has tamped down realistic fears about coronavirus, it was the president who took umbrage and called for an apology. Uh, Biden and his very liberal running mate, the most liberal person in Congress, by the way, is not a competent person, in my opinion, should immediately apologize for the reckless anti-vaccine rhetoric. Sarah, what was your take on, on that whole back and forth? Well, Trump didn't help himself out either, right? I mean, he did accuse Harris of trying to sabotage confidence in a vaccine. But that same day over Labor Day weekend, he said 
you know, we'll have a vaccine soon, quote, maybe before a special date. And you know what date I'm talking about, implying once again, the election, even though all of his health officials have couched that and said it's more likely to get something by the end of the year or early 2021. So it is concerning that Harris said that. And and I can see why public health officials are concerned. But President Trump hasn't exactly helped out on his end with depoliticizing the science. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, he was talking about the surprise, the quote, surprise that could be coming. You could have a very big surprise coming up. I'm sure you'll be very happy, but the the people will be happy. The people of the world will be happy. That is not the way that we should talk about public health interventions. So, Sarah, this is all happening with the backdrop of some serious concerns within the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, about how they can maintain public confidence in a vaccine. What exactly is going on inside of the agency right now? Like, how are they trying to assure people that a vaccine will be safe and effective with this backdrop of of Trump's messaging and with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden's messaging? Yeah, so there's been a lot of discussion within FDA about these sobering poll numbers that say that a lot of Americans, nearly a fifth, are hesitant to take a vaccine, and only 14% of people would trust one that came under the Trump administration. And so they're very aware of those types of numbers, and they're aware, too, of a history of what has been steady decline in vaccine confidence broadly, but also particularly among minorities that are most impacted by this virus. So African-American, Latinx, and American Indian communities. So they've been discussing how to reach out to the public more and how to reach out to the scientific community more. That's come largely in the form of editorials being done by Commissioner Stephen Hahn and some of his colleagues, but he's also taking to Twitter more. Earlier this week, he tweeted that he's going to be talking more on Twitter about their transparency efforts around vaccines. He created a new hashtag, hashtag FDA vaccine facts. He says that's going to be a regular feature for him. And what's good about that is that he says that this is him talking directly to people and he wants to make this more approachable and start discussing with the public right now, here's how the FDA is going to move transparently through this process so that you don't have to worry about these questions about safety and effectiveness. But it's not been just the FDA. Now industry is piping up too. Well, yeah, on Tuesday, we saw a group of vaccine makers put out a pledge to stick to safety and science and and to try to quell some of these fears that pre-election politics could drive vaccine decisions. What exactly did these vaccine makers say in this pledge? Did we learn anything new from it? Well, first of all, it's totally unprecedented for drug makers to do this. So nine of the manufacturers that have vaccines in human trials, some of which are in very late stage trials, banded together to write this statement. And these nine companies promised to be transparent about what they're doing to only submit something for approval or emergency use authorization if they find it safe and effective in a phase three trial. Now, there's a caveat there that people are concerned about. And they also pledge to try to make it accessible to as many people as possible, not just in the U.S., but in the world. That second part about promising to only submit if it's safe and effective They left the door open to doing an emergency use authorization, and we've talked a lot about those for other things on this podcast, like plasma and hydroxychloroquine. 
but just as like a reminder, that's a bar lower than approval. So it's a, it's an authority that's given during an emergency, and it's saying that this could be effective. We don't have solid evidence yet for it. A lot of public health experts are worried about a vaccine being authorized through that because there's a lot of long-term questions that you need to answer with vaccines. And especially since a lot of this data is going to be coming in October, there's a lot of concern about the politics around it and if people are going to trust those vaccines. A lot of the conversation about the politics of this, Dan, comes down to President Trump possibly pushing development too quickly to help his prospects. But I mean, we were talking about Kamala Harris's remarks over the weekend. Is there any truth to the notion that Democrats could be doing the same thing, that they might be questioning something that is rigorously being tested for safety, for efficacy, and that their questioning is just coming from the point of politics as well? Jeremy, I love that you're raising this question because I think we should challenge the conventional wisdom and, and narrative around coronavirus. At times, the rhetoric on on the Democratic side has gotten ahead of the reality on the ground, sometimes around the testing or the state of the response. As bad as it has been, sometimes it's been better than the conversation on social media might let on. And it is true that Democrats have campaigned aggressively on coronavirus and how the Trump administration has often botched the response. It's worth noting some of the loudest voices criticizing the president's response. Ron Klain, Andy Slavitt, Vivek Murthy, they're either Obama alums or they're actively working on the Biden campaign. So they do have some professional skin in the game for how coronavirus and the president's response is being perceived. At the same time, I I think there's no comparison between how President Trump has approached the vaccine development and how Democrats and watchdogs have raised often appropriate concerns about meddling in vaccine development. And I think that's what Joe Biden was trying to clean up in his comments this week, where he stressed he wants a vaccine. He is concerned about the president's response. He doesn't want to see political meddling, but he wants a vaccine, he said, more than being president. I guess I'm curious if public confidence is key for the adoption of a vaccine. Do you think these political fights over it, the media's coverage of it all, even like this conversation could be doing a disservice for public confidence. Point taken. Uh, I think there's evidence that the more of a media firestorm around any issue, the more that negative perceptions of that issue can rise. This goes back to the 2016 election and how negative coverage of Hillary Clinton's emails drove negative feelings about Hillary Clinton's emails. But in in this case, I, I think what's the alternative? Let the Trump administration quietly put pressure on public health officials and the president potentially meddle with the coronavirus response. We, we already saw that happen with hydroxychloroquine, the malaria drug back in the spring that the president championed. And that has become a political mess with the FDA trying to walk back all of the confusion and concern that the agency sped emergency authorization for a treatment and a significant number of Americans believing that hydroxychloroquine can offer benefits in treating coronavirus when the jury is either still out or actively against. I do think, Jeremy, that there's evidence that the controversy at times over a political issue can end up redounding in unexpected and and positive ways. For instance, the controversy over the healthcare.gov website 
back in 2013-2014, when the Obama administration's health insurance website didn't work for months, that became a major story on broadcast news, in daily news coverage. And I've talked to researchers about this. It likely drove attention and interest among the public in this health insurance website and potentially led to a surge in signups when the website did work. The circumstances are obviously different, but there is a universe where the average American is much more aware of a coronavirus vaccine because the media has been aggressively covering the development of a coronavirus vaccine. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on this all, like what the media's role is in the conversation and whether there is any concern over, you know, hurting public confidence? Absolutely. I think it's a double-edged sword, and I'm acutely aware of not wanting to fuel public fear in whether there's a safe and effective vaccine. But like Dan said, there's a level of accountability that comes from these types of articles when we bring to light these disputes or the fact that with hydroxychloroquine, the evidence was so thin and that it was largely led by certain people who didn't have a science background, you know, that sets the stage for FDA and for other officials to be more accountable in the future, especially about their actions around high stakes things like vaccines. And then for someone like me who I've been covering pharmaceuticals and vaccines for a long time. There is a real importance in explaining to people what is happening in these trials. So another really good example that feeds into this, I think, is that this week AstraZeneca, one of those nine companies that signed that statement pledging safety and efficacy from their vaccines, they actually paused their study this week because someone in it had a serious adverse event. There was spinal inflammation. And so this is how science is supposed to work. They paused the study to find out if the vaccine led to that, if there were other factors going on, other things that could be a risk to other people. In all likelihood, they're going to investigate that, come up with an answer, start the trial again soon. But why it's important to continue talking about these things, it's not to raise fear that, you know, someone who's listening right now could get spinal inflammation, but to say, this is how it works. This is why trials take a long time. This is why when someone says we're going to have a vaccine in October, they can't make that promise because that assumes every single thing goes perfectly. And that vaccine probably still will be safe, but they're doing the process right now to figure that out. Sarah, at this point, when do you think we realistically will have a vaccine of some sort? Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci is the one that I turn to on this. Um, He has said that he expects if all things go right, so like I said, with that AstraZeneca trial pause, that's one of those hitches that could extend it. But if all things go right, we could see a vaccine at the end of this year or early 2021. And what that's going to mean by see a vaccine is see one get submitted for FDA approval. The FDA has been working really closely with drug makers on their enrollment, on manufacturing. And so they can turn around on an approval pretty quickly. And then it's the distribution part. So if you say, when will I get a vaccine? I'd tell you probably late spring. Um, but for people who work in healthcare or really high exposure jobs, food, uh, first responders, nursing home staff, they will get it first, probably early 2021. The rest of us who sit at our desks writing articles or doing podcasts, no offense, we're probably going to get it late spring. Mm. Dan, what do you think at that point when this vaccine is released and, you know, they're trying to get the broader public to to get it? What do you think public confidence and public adoption will look like then realistically? And what does it all mean for the covid situation in America? Jeremy, is this going to be one of those answers where I'll say something and then I'll come back and listen in six months or nine months and I'll roll my eyes as 
to how naive I was at the time. I mean, probably. <laughs> I should have thought of that before I answered. <laughs> well, you went to the Fauci well. That's always that's always the smart play. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Good. <laughs> whatever whatever Fauci says. Um, said, mm-hmm. said local health reporter. Um, I I think that there are a couple scenarios, and it's very hard in September 2020 to know how it will all play out. But one framework is President Trump gets reelected. We see this vaccine roll out after his reelection. And in some ways, the political pressure is off, right? I mean, he'll probably still be doing all kinds of concerning and risky things, but there is not a looming election uh, next year that he'll have to worry about. So maybe in some ways, there will be less fear of the vaccine being rushed for the president's political ends. Alternately, if Joe Biden is elected, I do think a lot about a scenario like in 2009 when President Obama came in to a financial crisis and Republicans dug in their heels and resisted at every turn. Would President Biden, trying to roll out a vaccine that was largely developed by the Trump administration, would Republicans turn on him, cast doubts on him? Would we see a reversal of what we just saw in the past week? So, so many other factors are going to shape whatever happens between now and then. But those are two of the frameworks that I'm thinking about this fall. All right, that is our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond, and my thanks to my colleagues Jeremy Siegel and Sarah Overmall for joining me on this show. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. You can subscribe to Politico Pulse Check on your favorite podcast application. And you can help us by going to leave a rating or a review. You can follow Politico's coverage of the coronavirus in the Politico Nightly Newsletter and in Politico Pulse, the morning newsletter that I co-author. You can sign up for all of our newsletters at politico.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting us plague your ears, and we'll be back with you again next week.